Well, we are continuing this morning with our study through the book of Acts. Thank you to Jeremy for uh, preaching the last couple of weeks while I've been out of town, and for Matthew and John leading the music. So we're getting back to Acts chapter 13. Today we are focusing on verses 42 to 52. We're in the section of the book of Acts where the church in Antioch of Syria has sent Paul and Barnabas out to be missionaries, church planters in the Roman Empire. They first went to the island of Cyprus, which was Barnabas' homeland. From there, they sailed north to the province of Pamphylia. This was on the south coast of Asia Minor. Uh, it's located in modern-day Turkey. They ended up going to specifically to the city of Pisidian Antioch. As they did in Cyprus, they began by going to the local synagogue first. And we are told that there in the synagogue, there were readings from the Law and the Prophets. That was something that took place in all the synagogues at that time. And after that, Paul and Barnabas were asked to speak. Well, in verses 13 to 41 of Acts 13, we get our most extensive example of one of Paul's sermons. Paul builds on the fact that they had just read from the Law and the Prophets. The synagogue was made up of both Gentiles and Gentile, uh, of both Jews, I'm sorry, and Gentile proselytes. They would all believe that these Old Testament books were God-inspired scripture. So everything that Paul says finds its basis in the Old Testament scriptures. He begins by recounting some of the history of Israel to show that they were particularly chosen and blessed and cared for by God. Paul also speaks of times in which the people of Israel were unfaithful to the Lord. But in spite of their unfaithfulness, the Lord promised a Messiah to them through the line of David, their king. Then Paul tells them in his sermon that the fulfillment of that promise came in the person of Jesus Christ. And he appealed to them as sons of Abraham to hear what he had to say. He pointed out that the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem, who knew of the same prophecies that those in Antioch knew, refused to recognize Jesus as the fulfillment of those prophecies. Instead, they condemned him, they gave him over to Pilate to be executed, and in doing these things, they were actually fulfilling the very prophecies that they were rejecting. Then the Lord raised Jesus from the dead. He made multiple appearances as the resurrected Savior for 40 days. And many of those disciples who were witnesses of the resurrected Lord were actively at that time proclaiming him, and Paul and Barnabas were preaching the same good news that those uh, witnesses were proclaiming. Paul also makes it clear in his sermon that Jesus' resurrection was clearly prophesied in the Old Testament as well. In the last few words, uh, last few, well, words of his sermon, we see those in verse 38 to 41. So let me go ahead and read those just to remind you of how he closed his sermon. He says, Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and through him everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. Therefore take heed, so that the things spoken of in the prophets may not come upon you. Behold you scoffers, and marvel, and perish, for I am accomplishing a work in your days, a work which you will never believe, though someone should describe it to you. So what Jesus Christ accomplished means that the good news of salvation is available to anyone who will believe. Through faith in Christ, a person is fully forgiven of their sin. Through faith in Christ, a person is fully justified and counted righteous before God. Amazing, gloriously, really just life-transforming kind of news. 
But in sharing the good news, Paul also gave a sober warning. Once again, he quotes from another prophet. This time he quotes from Habakkuk. And the verse that he quotes is a warning really from God about the attack from the Chaldeans that was coming upon Judah for their sins against God. And uh, there were going to be many who would not believe this attack was really going to happen, and that would have been a tragic mistake. Well, in the same way, Paul uses that passage to warn that many may hear this great message of salvation and not believe it. They would not believe that it was Jesus who actually fulfilled these great promises found in the law and the prophets. There is great danger, great danger in rejecting salvation because there is no other way to be saved. When the verses we're considering this morning, we will see that there were very clearly two, well, different, there were mixed responses to the gospel that Paul shared. So let's read what happened. It's in verses 42 to 52. As Paul and Barnabas were going out, the people kept begging that these things might be spoken to them the next Sabbath. Now when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and of the God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, were urging them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. Since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us. I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of, of, of prominence and the leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust of their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. There's three things I want us to consider from these verses this morning. First, the phrase, the word of the Lord, is used really directly four times and is alluded to several other times. So we need to talk about what the word of the Lord is. Second, we need to talk about the numerous things that are done in rejecting the word of the Lord. And then third, we'll consider the things that are said about those who receive the word of the Lord. So our first point is this. We need to consider the supreme authority of the word of the Lord. In verse 42, first I want you to just notice all the different ways this, just, this phrase or, or allusion to it shows up. In verse 42, the people were begging Paul and Barnabas to speak those same words to them again. That was the words of the Lord. That's what they had shared. Speak those same words to us again. Verse 43, we see that virtually the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Verse 45, some of the Jews were, see were seeking to contradict the words that had been spoken contradict the word of the Lord. And verse 46, six, Paul says that it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to them. And verse 48, we see some people glorifying the word of the Lord. And in verse 49, we see that the word of the Lord was being spread throughout the whole region. So what is meant by the word of the Lord? Well, first, the word of the Lord in its most fundamental sense is the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments given by inspiration of God. It's the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments. 
These scriptures are rightly referred to and spoken of as the word of the Lord. They are revelation from the sovereign, eternal God, the one true and living God. In his grace, he has revealed truth to us. He, it, it pleased the Lord to reveal these truths to various men in various times through in history. He called these men to inscripturate or write down what the Lord revealed to them. And then through the centuries, the Lord preserved these writings so that we could actually have Bibles, Bibles that we can trust to be the actual word of the Lord. And since the scriptures of the Old New Testament are the word of God, they are sufficient. They are what we need to live life in a way that is honoring to the Lord. They are certain. They are infallible. We know that these scriptures are absolutely true, therefore. And because these things are true, the scriptures have authority. The things revealed in these books are to be believed. They are to be studied and applied in life. This book is, in fact, the word of the Lord, and we are called on to receive it as such. But in these verses, Luke seems to be using the word of the Lord in a little more specific way than just the general uh, inspiration of the whole scriptures. So we see next that the word of the Lord also refers to the gospel, to the gospel of salvation by faith in Jesus Christ that the scriptures reveal. It was likely new revelation to the people in Pisidian Antioch. The scriptures, the scriptures actually reveal the gospel. They speak of many types, for example, in the Old Testament that point to the coming of a Savior, things like sacrifices, the temple, the priest. They give promises about the coming of a Savior. They give descriptions about who that Savior will be and what he will accomplish. They speak of his life. They speak of his death. They speak of his resurrection. All those things you can find in the Old Testament scriptures. Then in the New Testament, we are told about how these promises and prophecies were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We're told of his birth, his baptism, about the things that he taught, about the many amazing signs and miracles he performed. We're told about how he interacted with his disciples. We're told of how he interacted with those who refused to believe. We are told of his death on the cross as a substitute for sinners. We are told of his victory over sin and death when he rose from the dead. All those things would fit into what Luke describes here as the word of the Lord. And it's those things that Paul and Barnabas were carefully sharing with the people in Pisidian Antioch. Now, it's very likely that this was new revelation for them. They were familiar with the law and the prophets. They read them in the synagogue every Sabbath. But they were not familiar with the fact that Jesus was the one sent from God who fulfilled those prophecies. So the message of the word of the Lord was hugely important. It was very literally a matter of life and death. And the fact that Paul ended his message with a warning just emphasized how crucial the gospel message is. He knew there were going to be many who would be slow to believe what he was saying. So that leads us to our second main point. It is foolish and dangerous to reject the word of the Lord. It's sad to see that there were a number of people who did not heed Paul's warning. It seems that it may have been a minority who rejected the word of the Lord, but they were influential, and for that reason, they were able to cause a lot of havoc. So we see from their response here that many foolishly reject the word of the Lord based on personal prejudice and ambition. 
Look at verses 44 and 45. It says, The next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. So the Jews that are described here as being filled with jealousy are likely the leaders of the synagogue. We say that because in verse 42 and 43, we see that synagogue attenders as a whole wanted Paul and Barnabas to come back and speak to them again. Well, the leaders obviously were okay with that. They allowed Paul and Barnabas to come back that next Sabbath. But when they saw the massive crowd of people who were there, they changed their mind. We read that they were filled with jealousy. Well, jealous of what? Well, jealous of the success that Paul and Barnabas were having. Jealous that the people were flocking to them for instruction, Paul and Barnabas, instead of coming to the leaders of the synagogue. Jealous of their influence in the city. It seems that the Jews had some significant influence in this city with the Gentiles because of their faith in the one true God, because of their faith in the Scriptures. And they thought they would lose that influence if their congregation put faith in Jesus as the Christ. So because of these things, they had a personal prejudice against the word of the Lord. The issue for them was not... The, uh, the issue was not whether the word of the Lord was true. The issue was, the issue was how it would threaten their position in the community. Their ambition to be liked and to be highly thought of caused them to reject what was true, to reject the word of the Lord. Those kinds of things are just as applicable in our day as they were in theirs. I remember when I was in high school a long time ago, and I just remember being really kind of embarrassed, especially in high school, being kind of embarrassed that people, if people knew that I went to church. It just felt kind of embarrassing for people to know that. And then when I thought about actually committing my life to Jesus Christ, I knew I was going to be rejected by different people. I just felt that. Whether it was true or not, that's what I believed. That's what I felt. We all want to be accepted. We all want to be highly thought of by other people. Usually we have certain people in particular in mind that we want to make sure we have a good standing with them. Those are real things, real issues we have to deal with. But if they cause us to reject the word of the Lord, if they cause us to reject Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, then they put us in a very dangerous situation. Furthermore, we see from this text next, that when people foolishly reject the word of the Lord, they also reject the person of Christ as revealed in the word. We see in verse 45 that these people were so committed to their own prejudice and ambition that they stooped to actively contradicting the word of the Lord that Paul had spoken. And by doing this, they committed blasphemy. This is the ultimate foolishness, and there is no greater danger. Now remember who is doing this contradicting of the word of the Lord. This is the synagogue leadership. These are the ones who profess to believe the word of the Lord. These are the ones who lead the people to read from the law and the prophets every Sabbath. They would be calling doubt on the prophecies that Paul had referred to. They would be insistent that they did not, those prophecies did not mean what Paul said they meant. And in doing so, they were actually contradicting God's word. This seems incredible to us, but it has continued to happen all through history. I mean, even now, there are many in the 
I'm going to call it the church. Many who, who profess Christ, denominations, churches, and so forth, who actually regularly call into question the very word of God that they're called to teach and preach. Unfortunately, that's not that uncommon. Things like, does the Bible really say that God made them male and female, and that that's a good thing? Does it really define marriage as between one man and one woman? Does it really? Does it really teach the sanctity of human life? Can the scriptures truly be considered the inspired word of God? I have many friends who would doubt those very things I just said, and, and, and they consider themselves Christians. But they're constantly casting doubt on the word of God. Sadly, these kind of contradictions are quite common in our day. And it doesn't stop there because those who are willing to contradict the word of the Lord, here they end up blaspheming as well. In the context of this chapter 13, verse 45, I think the blasphemy that's being referred to is denying that Jesus is the Christ, that he's the promised Messiah, denying that he is who he claimed he was. And when you do that, you deny any possibility for salvation for sinners. So people end up saying that it doesn't really matter whether you believe in Jesus Christ or not because all are going to be saved in the end. That's a big problem. That is a heart, it is heartbreaking that the very word of the Lord that was given really to give people real hope is pulled out from underneath them, something they can't trust in, at least from what they're told. We're all weak and vulnerable. We need the sure hope that the gospel gives us. Furthermore, we see next that rejecting the word of the Lord is dangerous. It leads to rejecting eternal life. Verses 46 to 47 tell us how Paul and Barnabas responded to this rejection of the word of the Lord. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, It was necessary that the word of the Lord be spoken to you first. Since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us. I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. <coughs> so Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, confidently against these synagogue leaders. They make a judgment against them. They don't do it because they were upset. They don't do it because they were just frustrated with how things were going. They didn't do it because they were feeling defensive and needed to get the attention back on them. I mean, it, that was not their motive. They did what they did because what they did was consistent with what the word of the Lord said they should do. That's why they did what they did. Paul and Barnabas make it clear that the word of the Lord called them to offer the gospel first to the Jewish people. They were the people of God. The promises and prophecies came to them and through them. Jesus was born into a Jewish family. He ministered primarily to people who were Jewish in his public ministry on earth. But these Jewish leaders were not willing to accept the word of the Lord. In fact, they actively resisted it, contradicted it, and blasphemed the Son of God. Paul ends up quoting from Isaiah 49.6. This is part of one of the servant songs in the book of Isaiah that speaks of the promised Messiah in a prophetic way. And it's clear from this verse that the Lord gave the Messiah to be a light to the Gentiles, that he would bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Well, as ministers of the Messiah, Paul and Barnabas announced that they are now turning from the Jews to the Gentiles. Furthermore, Paul and Barnabas say 
that the Jewish leaders had judged themselves unworthy of eternal life. They condemned themselves by their active repudiation of the word of the Lord. Salvation was freely offered, and they rejected it. They repudiated it. They rejected the Messiah that their own Bibles had promised. To reject eternal life means that the only possibility is eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord. It is foolish and dangerous to reject the word of the Lord. One more thing to consider under this category, and that's this. Rejecting the word of the Lord can lead to a violent rejection of those who believe and submit to the word of the Lord. It's verse 50 and 51. But the Jews incited the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust of their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. So the reaction of the synagogue leaders was so extreme that they instigated a violent persecution against Paul and Barnabas. First, it says they incited devout women of prominence. Now, this is probably referring to Gentile women of high standing in the city who were part of this synagogue. Devout really it just means they were, they were proselytes. That's, that's really a category. It's not speaking to the condition of their hearts. Um, so they were Gentile proselytes, most likely. Well, this indicates that there were key people in the city who felt it was advantageous to them to be a part of the synagogue. It gave them a level of influence that was, that was important for them. So they were fully willing to force Paul and Barnabas out of the city because their insistence on teaching the word of the Lord was a threat to their standing and the community. They also were able to convince some civil magistrates to join them in their opposition. It says they incited these men and women. That probably means they lied about them, exaggerated the facts, probably misrepresented the situation to their own advantage. And as a result, a persecution against Paul and Barnabas was instigated and they were forced to leave the city. Now, not everyone who rejects the word of the Lord acts in such violent ways against believers. But it's also true that persecution against the church has been a reality since the first century. In fact, there is probably more persecution against the church now in our day around the world than ever before. Well, as they left, Paul and Barnabas acted out a further warning against the unbelievers, the synagogue uh, leaders and, and those who were with them. It says they shook the dust off their feet and then went to Iconium. Jesus himself actually commended this practice several times. And it symbolizes that as they leave Pisidian Antioch, their responsibility for bringing this gospel presentation and sharing to a premature end lies with the leaders of the synagogue and the officials of the city. They're the ones who have caused this. Paul and Barnabas do not want to be associated with this foolish and dangerous unbelief. And their hope is that those responsible would take this as a warning and repent. But the good news is that many in the city gladly received the word of the Lord. So in our third main point, we see this. There is great blessing for those who hear and receive and walk in the truth of the word of the Lord. Paul and Barnabas were faithful to proclaim that word. They grounded their message, you remember, in the law and the prophets. 
They made it very clear that Jesus was the one who was the fulfillment of those promises and prophecies. And they invited all who heard to believe in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. There are multiple examples in this passage of the great benefit that the word of the Lord is for those who will receive it. First, we note this. The word of the Lord is one of the means of grace. One of the means of grace God has provided. So to continue in the word is to continue in God's grace. Look back at 42 and 43. As Paul and Barnabas were going out, the people kept begging that these things might be spoken to them the next Sabbath. Now when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and the God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them were urging them to continue in the grace of God. So the people present in the synagogue that day heard the word of the Lord. They listened. They recognized the truth that was being shared with them. And most, if not all of them, had probably never heard the good news that Jesus had fulfilled these promises of God and had thereby provided forgiveness and righteousness for sinners. They wanted to hear more. And the fact that they listened and responded in this way to what they heard was a sign that God was graciously working in their life. Well, in verse 43, Paul and Barnabas exhort them to continue in the grace of God. They were to continue to ponder the things they had heard. They were to continue to hear the word of the Lord when it was preached to them. And ultimately, they were to believe that word. This is an example, I think, of what is sometimes called using the means of grace. The word means here speaks of something that's a channel. So the means of grace are channels that the Lord uses to convey his blessings to people. Probably the most important of the means of grace is the word of the Lord itself. Others are like prayer, fellowship with Christians, public worship, things of that sort. The word of the Lord is probably the most important means, channel of grace. We're to spend time reading it and pondering the scriptures personally. We're also to be faithful in meeting together in worship where the scriptures are read, prayed, and shared. We are all in great need to make regular use of the means of grace, and to fail to do that is always going to stunt our growth, and we all know that from experience. Whenever we have ceased to use those means, you never end up doing well. You just don't. We are to continue to use these means of grace because there are so many temptations, so many trials in life that we come across, and we need God's grace to persevere. A second blessing that the word of the Lord brings is this. The Lord can do a great salvation work in a person's life even when many around them are actively rejecting the word of the Lord. So as we've seen, Paul and Barnabas did return the following Sabbath to continue to share the word of the Lord with the people. But we've also seen that it was at that time that the synagogue officials acting out of jealousy, selfish ambition, began to actively contradict that word that they were sharing. They even went so far as to blaspheme Jesus Christ. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly against them. You would think this would have a chilling effect on the people as a whole. All this going on. You would think that as their religious leaders began to cast doubt on the word of the Lord publicly, that it would cause the people to turn away from the gospel, but it didn't. 
The grace of God is stronger than the arguments of men. The word of the Lord is more authoritative than the words of men. In verse 49, we read that the word of the Lord was being spread throughout the whole region. This happened in spite of the opposition. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. As the power of God, the gospel overcomes our sinful resistance to him. As the power of God, the gospel grants us the faith that we need to trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. And as the power of God, the gospel brings about the transformation of life for all who believe. Just great blessings there, even when there's all kinds of difficulty and and opposition around. Thirdly, we see this. When the word of the Lord is heard and believed, God is glorified and there is much rejoicing. Paul and Barnabas rebuked the synagogue officials by applying Isaiah 49.6 to them. That passage, as we said, spoke of the Messiah as being a light to the Gentiles, bringing salvation to the ends of the earth. But when the Gentiles heard this prophecy, this promise from the word of the Lord, I mean, they were ecstatic. God had graciously worked in their heart. He had shown them their sin. He had shown them that Jesus Christ had purchased their forgiveness. The Lord had shown them that in Christ they would be fully righteous before God. So they began to rejoice that the word of the Lord had been revealed to them and was now applied to them, and they were reaping the benefits. It also says, this is an interesting phrase to me that I puzzled about for a while, it also says they were glorifying the word of the Lord. How do you do that? How do you glorify the word of the Lord? Well, first, I think it means you believe it is what it says it is. You believe it is the word of the Lord. So in glorifying the word of the Lord, you actually are glorifying the Lord himself because you're glorifying his words. I think you also glorify the word of the Lord when you think carefully and often on what it has to say and seek to make clear application in your, in your life. It shows that you're focused more on the words of the Lord than on the words of other people. Luke shows us another way the word of the Lord was glorified. He says, as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. This doctrine that's been referred to here actually shows up multiple times in the word, in the word of God, the word of the Lord. In love, God has foreordained from the foundation of the world those who would be his children. The scripture uses words like chosen, predestined, elect. God has not told us who it is. There's not a list of who was appointed to eternal life. So we don't need to obsess over that. But we see clearly from this passage that all those who believed the word of the Lord had been appointed by the Lord for eternal life. It was evidence of their appointment. They had taken good advantage of the means of grace provided for them, and by God's grace, they were saved. And this is a further way in which the word of the Lord was glorified. The salvation of any sinner does not glorify that sinner. The salvation of any sinner glorifies the Lord who saved them. So there's much reason for rejoicing. Finally, we see this. 
Those who receive the word of the Lord can be filled with joy by the Holy Spirit, even in times that are, that are very distressing. Even in times that are very distressing. There is so much to glorify God about in this passage. We see many people, both Jews and Gentiles alike, who received the word of the Lord. They rejoiced in and glorified that word of the Lord. God used Paul and Barnabas and those who were saved to spread the word of the Lord throughout that whole region. But there was also serious opposition. There was lying. There was envy. There was selfish ambition. There was much unbelief. There were evil plans made to instigate a persecution against Paul and Barnabas. Ultimately, they were forcefully driven out of the region. So there was a lot to be discouraged about. Paul and Barnabas had very little time to instruct and help these new believers. Apparently, just a matter of weeks. But in spite of that, here's how the chapter ends. And the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. They rejoiced in the things that would lead most people to despair. How could that be? Like all believers, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were now sanctuaries. They were now temples of the Spirit of God. One of the fruits of the Spirit is joy. This doesn't mean that they were giddy because everything was going their way. It means that no matter what was going on around them, they were continually grateful and thankful for how the Lord, how the Lord had worked in their life, how the Lord had saved them. They rejoiced in that forgiveness that they had before God. I mean, I can just imagine them just focusing on, that, on all the things they were forgiven of. These were, I, well, all the things they were forgiven of. They rejoiced in being his loved and adopted children. They had a relationship with the triune God that now defined everything about who they were as a person. So they were continually, continually filled with joy by the Holy Spirit, even when there were so many things to be discouraged about going on around them. The word of the Lord is a wonderful gift to us. The scriptures are literally a treasure. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to all who believe, and that changes everything. Lord, I do want to thank you for your word. I thank you for the treasure that it is. And this passage in particular, we just see Paul and Barnabas just very clearly, and Luke, as he, as he records what took place, just lifting high the word of the Lord, because it is the word of the Lord. Lifting it high for us to see how valuable it is, how important it is, how, what a blessing it is in life, and how, tra- how it can transform our lives as we hear it and believe it, and actually are saved, and actually grow then in that salvation. Thank you for the word of the Lord. Most of us have a copy of in our hands, or at least on our, on our phone that we can use. Thank you that we have that word. Lord, help us to be people who value it, who treasure it. I don't do that near enough. Lord, help us to do that. And Lord, I want to thank you too, just for the testimony just for the um that we see in this passage of yes there was all kinds of opposition there was all kinds of lying going on there was all kinds of uh people mad and people upset but at the same time you have the christians being filled with joy lord help us to be that kind of people grant us the joy 
that is the truly the joy of the Lord, no matter what our circumstances are. We ask for your help in doing that. If you're one who's never put your faith in Jesus Christ, Paul made it clear it's a dangerous thing to reject the word of the Lord. So I would invite you not to do that. Don't turn away from it. Don't reject it. I would invite you to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And a prayer like this would be a way to start. Lord, I realize that I'm a sinner. I realize that I need forgiveness. But I also realize that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And I want to receive him as my Savior. I want to commit my life to him as the Lord of my life. If you want to talk in more detail about that, about that commitment, you can make a note in your tear-off, or those who are watching online can connect through us through the website. It is in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen. We're going to sing hymn number 712, if you want to use one of the hymnals. <laughs>